Researching human performance brings up a lot of interesting thoughts. During a conversation on the LTAD Network podcast, they spoke about not treating humans like robots, saying you need to get a full understanding of the person, the morals, the values, the motives of what it is that they're doing before you can actually share, give advice, or help them in any way, this looking from a coaching perspective. And the minimalists agreed with this with their conversation talking about narcissists and how the labels we put on ourselves and labels other people put on us can actually make us lose who we are. Something I brought up last week on the recap where How to ADHD was actually talking about those labels and how if you say I'm, I'm bad at this thing, it actually makes you worse at that thing because it becomes part of your identity and you just identify with being bad or good at this certain label that you've attached to yourself. And Brad and Steve actually spoke about this when they were unpacking the best press conference with the athletes saying that you need to be a kid. Just act, have fun, ask why, loads of questions, forget about the labels, forget about the expectations, and do you. And Tom said something that made me giggle when thinking about challenge. He said, when a gold bar is thrown at you, let it hit you and pick it up. Don't, don't shield it away, let the gold bar hit you and then pick it up. The gold bar being the challenge, the gold bar hitting you being the friction point. So you don't want to deflect that friction point and get rid of it. You want to accept it, hit it, feel the pain, feel the failure, and then just pick it up and move on with that newfound wealth. Now we can't talk about challenge without including goals, and this time Stephen was talking about clear goals, which summarized means challenging yourself right to the edge of your ability, but not too much that it causes demotivation. And those goals, according to Seth Godin, is about solving interesting problems. And he actually came up with a story that I thought was quite interesting, where there was an environment, an office environment, loads of people had paperwork, and they had to find their paper, so someone decided I'm going to put a paperclip on my work. The next day, some other items suddenly were found on these pieces of paper, and he had found a solution to an interesting problem, and other people just followed. He didn't market it, he didn't do anything about it, it was just, this is my solution, and other people followed because it worked. And we all learn a little different when you think about Bandura's theory of social learning, but what Jim Quick was talking about with learning is that it matters what state you're in, what emotional state you're in. Are you in a state of mind to be learning? What emotion do you attach with the learning to the lesson or to the skill? And this further emphasizes the link between cognitive ability and emotional control, which is where Seth Godin gave another example of this, this time using arithmetic and math. Arithmetic basically being all of the calculations and requiring memorization of what it is that you're doing following a pattern of different things you need to do. Now, this can be done using a calculator, or nowadays, using a phone, whereas math is more about the why, how, and when you actually do the arithmetic, requiring more thought, more emotional and cognitive understanding of the situation that you're actually in. And this is actually the experience many of us had at school with math and arithmetic. It wasn't, okay, this is why you're doing this, this is why this calculation, this formula works, it's just, this is what you need to do for this question, A, B, C, D, you get it done which is where a lot of us struggle. And talking about schools, Seth actually goes on to say that a lot of us pick our schools because of emotional attachments we have with the school, whether that is we played football in a tournament on their field when we were younger, or we know the teacher, we know other students at the school, or it's close to us and lots of our friends are likely to go there as well because we have an emotional attachment to either the people or the place. Because narrative matters. Feelings first 
which creates a story and then you use facts normally to support it because confirmation bias. Which actually goes for flashcards as well, which Mike and Matty spoke about even though their love of RemNote and their love of flashcards is very clear to see, they spoke about how important the context of the flashcards is. Now they went on to say to put flashcards in the context of a note or in an idea, which I agree with, but I think that's a little vague. I think it needs to go a bit further. So when you're making flashcards in my mind, you need different perspectives, different contexts on the flashcard because it's not just a one size fits all most of the time, unless it's a fact and memorizing a piece of information. So the concept, to understand the concept, to learn the concept, you need to push out your boundaries, go outside of just the normal flashcards and challenge yourself to get different perspectives, to create more flashcards around the different concepts that it can involve. And as Simon says, <laughs> Simon says, uh, but as Simon says, you need to learn a skill of asking for help. And flashcards, you don't really ask for help because you've made them done. Whereas when you're learning and looking for different perspectives, you need to get those perspectives from someone else, so asking for help is a skill that we need to develop when learning. On the other hand, things that are more factual and binary in nature, like nutrition, we know, yes, there are nuances in nutrition, but we know calorific deficit, calorific surplus, gain, lose weight. That's just how it works. And Jeff was talking about clean eating and how it doesn't really exist. What's important is that the foods you're eating are nutrient and pick up lines and Nathaniel agree, there isn't really a superfood or any tricks or hacks with a nutritional plan. It just needs flexibility, variety, so that you can actually sort of stay sane and be consistent with whatever it is that you're eating, making sure that they are nutrient dense foods. And we know consistency in performance is key, but there are some people in the high performance world that just take it a little bit too far. For those of you unfamiliar in the sporting context, they push people emotionally and physically to their limit. Sometimes and oftentimes too far in history. Looking forwards, hopefully that will decrease. And Lawrence spoke about this on the Sports Psych Show where high performance athletes were just being pushed to the limits to get the medal, forgetting about the actual health of the individual. And then Steve backs this up with what's happening at the moment with Simone Biles about her performance. For those unaware, Simone Biles is arguably the best gymnast in the world, breaking scores, making up new moves on her own and just winning literally every category. But this Olympics, Tokyo, she pulled out. She qualified, she got through the qualification stages and then she pulled out. And she pulled out because of something called perception, action, disconnection. In basic terms, when she's doing this spinny flippy shit off of skills or whatever, she loses where she is in the air so she doesn't know where she's going to land. Not safe. And this is often linked to mental health, mental skills, cognitive and emotional stress on the individual, them being stressed about a skill, stressed about an event, or whatever that happens to be, and Simone Biles, because she is arguably the face of Tokyo 2020... One, there's a lot of pressure on her and that's what we can guess is actually going on in her mind, which is why she's struggling right now. So how do you go about finding a solution for this? Well, Seth says that if you're just pointing at it, shouting about it, making it a really big thing, you're actually being lazy about trying to solve the problem. He was saying that if you actually want to make a change, you need to find a solution by creating a different environment doing something different. Again, another nod to the constraints-led approach to coaching, changing the environment, changing the constraints, changing the affordances for the individuals to work in. And Simon, as always, is trying to break the norms and suggests a don't do it day. In, in his business, in his work life, he gives people a don't do it day. They simply call him and say, I don't want to do work today. And he says, okay. Assuming there is a, an honest conversation and 
rational justification of why they're not going to do it. He actually says that instead of people lying and calling in, oh, I'm sick and I'm not actually being sick, he says, have a don't do it day. Just don't do the work and come back and focus up next time. And I think this links really well with cognitive load theory and how mental and cognitive capacity works the same as physical capacity when it comes to load. You have a baseline of physical load, a baseline of cognitive and mental load that you can work with, and then you start overloading, overloading physically, cognitively or mentally and that's what happens in work when you're doing really challenging work emotionally or cognitively that load increases and when it's at a point you just need to go I need to rest and that is that don't do it day and you could be thinking about a lot of different stuff but something Cole Hastings actually brought up which I thought was a pretty interesting question was the stuff you're thinking about now will you remember in one minute time 10 minutes time an hour time maybe tomorrow will you remember it if not then it's arguably wasted cognitive load, but it depends whether that's active or passive cognitive thought, which is a whole topic on its own. And that is why Simon has a do-nothing day, because it's better to have four hours of deep, focused, motivated work than having eight hours of low-focus, stressful, do-it-at-all-costs work. As James Clear said, the cardinal rule of behavior change, what gets rewarded gets repeated, what gets punished gets avoided, so don't reward behavior you don't want to see repeated. So rewarding rest, recovery, and driven focused work over mentally drained work is much better. This is why I think the four day week studies I brought up a couple of weeks ago found so much success. Now, if you've made it to this point, firstly, awesome. Secondly, because of the amount of physical, mental, and emotional load I'm going to be going over in the, in the next few months, the recaps are actually going to be moved to podcast version because it doesn't take as much time to do a podcast as a video. And I don't want to stop the recaps, but doing it in a video format I know is going to be overreaching and potentially overloading myself, so I want to plan ahead of time and not do that. So I'm going to leave a link in the description below and probably a pinned comment for the podcast, which is where I will be putting all the recaps, which will still be happening on a Monday. So have a great week, and until next Monday, get off YouTube and do something productive with your time instead.